listeners. This is Annika, and today on the show, we're joined by a friend of the podcast, Melanie Luttig. Melanie went to the University of Nebraska, where she pursued a degree in mechanical engineering, but after several years in the industry, realized it just was not a good fit for her. So we're going to chat with Melanie about her pivotal moment that led her to a big career change. Melanie, welcome to Explain Yourself. Thanks so much for having me here. Thank you for joining us. So we start every podcast by discussing what we are drinking. So what are you drinking tonight? Tonight I am enjoying myself a Moscow Mule, um, just classic with Tito's and some ginger beer and lime. I love this drink in the summer. It's my go-to. Big Moscow Mule fan myself. She has like the traditional Moscow Mule mug for it. Okay, so fun fact, if you want to clean your Moscow Mule mugs because they get, you know, like the water spots on them, okay, this is going to sound super nasty, but you rub them with ketchup and the acid and the ketchup gets rid of the water spots and then obviously like rinse them off afterwards so you don't have a ketchup mug, but <laughs> ketchup. learned that from my grandma. Ketchup with a side of Moscow Mule. <laughs> Sounds super tasty and refreshing for summer. I am drinking a, well, a lazy version of a jalapeno margarita. Trader Joe's has this jalapeno limeade mix that if you're just really feeling like not chopping up a jalapeno, you just mix it with tequila and it's like a spicy marg. Their limeade is so good in margs. It is delicious and very easy to drink like the whole container of it. I mean, even without tequila in it, very, very good. So this is hashtag not an ad. During quarantine, I was making possibly the worst mixed drinks I've ever had in my life. And so we started ordering this thing called American Cocktail Club. And they send you every month a new like curated cocktail, the alcohol and the mixers and the um, little dried fruits or whatever to kind of top it all off. So I'm currently drinking their virtual vacay, which is a rum, watermelon, mojito type thing. It's really getting me through this week. Yum. That sounds so good. That does sound really good. You might have to send me the recipe for that so I can try to concoct it myself. That's how we get sponsors. <laughs> there you go. Just <laughs> we support this system. <laughs> we'll make feel all the recipes from you and you can buy the kits. <laughs> <laughs> So Melanie, you are our first interview for a big job transition. So we're interested to hear how that journey went for you, kind of your background and what the steps behind the process were and the ultimate decisions behind making those big career changes. So we have a very exciting lineup of questions for you. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this. I am excited that somebody thinks it's interesting. I actually work with a career coach who has been encouraging me to get out there and tell my story. And um, hi, Erin, if you're listening. Um, so yeah, Erin Stanley is an amazing career coach. And she has been pushing me to get out there and tell my story because she thought that a lot of people would relate to it. So I'm excited to be here today and to talk about that. I actually have a career coach too, and they are wonderful. Melanie, let's take it back to when you were five years old. I'm going to guess that you did not want to be an engineer. So what did you want to be when you were younger? At five years old, I think I wanted to be a veterinarian because I loved dogs and cats. 
And then I had the unfortunate circumstance of having one of those dogs die. And then I learned I did not want to be a vet because I was so sad, <laughs> so sad. And it's it's interesting. I've always had a, a track towards animals, I guess. Um, I grew up in Nebraska and my aunt and uncle took me to SeaWorld when I was like 11 or 12 with my cousins. And then I wanted to be a dolphin trainer. I thought that would be like <laughs> the best thing, uh, which later I learned learned really was a marine biologist. And yeah, things, things have shifted quite a bit from, from those early days of thinking about my career. My friend is actually a dolphin trainer. Are you kidding? Yes, no, she is. She like packed up her life and moved out of the country and trains dolphins now. That's amazing. <laughs> I wanted to be a dolphin trainer because I thought it was so cool. Um, now I know SeaWorld is not so cool. When I was a little kid, you take a kid from the Midwest and show them the beach for the first time and you're like all about it. Yeah, I wanted to do the same thing, like ride the dolphins or ride the whales, be a mermaid, like Little Mermaid was my favorite movie growing up. Okay, so how obviously at some point you decided being a dolphin trainer was not uh, in your best interest. So (laughs) did that change in middle school or high school? Yeah, I think middle school and high school, that really shifted. I grew up with really hardworking parents and my dad was a gearhead and he loved cars. My parents actually worked opposite schedules. My dad worked during the day and my mom worked in restaurants at night as a waitress or sometimes managing. So I was hanging out with my dad a lot after school and he would take me to go work on cars and see car shows and go to car races and I was all about working on cars and wanting to be a race car driver. And then I kind of started looking into it and I kind of had this option to either go the mechanic route like my dad and and a lot of his friends did. But he sat me down and said, you know, I want I want you to have a better life than this. And I think you can do more than this. He's like, I'll support you in whatever you want to do, but I think you could do more. And so I started looking at the options for how to be involved with cars. And I decided I wanted to be like a designer, an automotive designer or um, working on a race team. And when I looked into that, all of those people were mechanical engineers. And so that's kind of what tied me to mechanical engineering to start with. So then you went on to the University of Nebraska, of course, to get your engineering degree. How did that path, while you were in school, did you start to realize the divide between your interest and what you enjoyed doing and the classes you were taking, or did it mesh pretty well together? Nobody told me that to become an automotive engineer, you really need to go to Michigan where all of the automotive uh, companies are. And so I ended up at Nebraska with a scholarship and I took that scholarship because uh, my dad was laid off the summer before I started college and my parents, that just wasn't in their um, ability to pay for college for me. So I took advantage of the scholarship and started in Omaha and um, ended up finishing at Lincoln to get my mechanical engineer degree. And I realized pretty quickly that I wasn't doing anything related to cars. <laughs> and so, you know, it was a lot more, and, and it's pretty common. And I think I just didn't know the, the process where your undergrad, everybody basically has the same undergrad degree, but your internships are largely based on what's available in your region. So Nebraska's ag and it consulting and it buildings, um, it's not race cars. So, um, you know, I could have gone on to grad school and and pursued some of that. But um, by the time I was done with engineering, I didn't want to do more engineering. So (laughs) yeah, I I stopped after, after my undergrad. 
So where do you, and I only ask because I feel like it's very common for those entering college to have this idea of what they want their career to be. I want to find out one or two years in that the trajectory they're on doesn't quite match with what they want to do when they grow up. So where do you think that disconnect between saying, I want a mechanical engineering degree and I want to be in cars and then not making it to Michigan? You're exactly right. I think I had no idea really what an engineer did before going into engineering. And I think that that happens to a lot of people in their career paths or or even um, majors. People change majors all the time, right? And I think that's what is great about college is it gives you that exposure and being able to have that exposure and go through internships. And I was a first generation college student. And so um, I really didn't have that exposure to professional services type of careers to be able to ask those questions and see what somebody did in the day-to-day. And so for anybody out there that's considering that path, I think it's important to remember that just because you start, like I did, I started and ended in the same uh, major. You don't have to. There's there's opportunities to change and to really seek out shadowing opportunities and even just having a conversation with your parents' friends, what they do for a living and getting that, that overall exposure is important. Was there ever a point while you were in school that you thought about switching majors or were you just kind of like, I feel like I'm kind of not stuck, but on this path and I need to continue down this journey of engineering since, I mean, that is a pretty specialized degree where most of your classes, even in early on in your undergrad, are very focused on engineering. So was there ever a point that you considered switching majors or were you just like, I'm just going to finish? this. Yeah, I did consider switching majors, but I think this happens to a lot of people. You get to a certain point and you're like, I don't want to start over. To switch from engineering because the class load is so much different than a business major or you know, other majors, it it would have been extremely expensive for me to switch. Um, But also, I think I grew up in a family where you just, you set a goal and you meet it. And, you know, my dad worked for the same company for over 26 years. My mom was in the same industry for over 26 years. Like, I hadn't really seen that exposure of job hopping or, you know, that, that wasn't something that I was raised on. And so I think I felt very determined, one, to myself that I could do this. And then, um, too, there were plenty of signs along the way that maybe engineering wasn't for me. <laughs> I'm not gonna, um, I'm not gonna sugarcoat that. Definitely a lot of signs, you know, math and physics weren't my favorite classes. That would be, um, you know, one major sign pretty early on. But um, I, I just wanted to stick with it and get through it. And I, I do think financially, I felt a little bit stuck. But also going back to that exposure thing, I just didn't know what else I would want to do. And for me, a college degree was, um, and, and especially in engineering, was not just you know something to do, but it was also financial stability and creating a future for myself. So I knew that no matter what I ended up doing later, this engineering degree would help me anyway. So that's really why I ended up sticking through it. You really hit the nail on the head there with why we decided to start this podcast. We feel like too many people get too far down a path and don't fully understand what a day-to-day would be like in the life of, you know, whatever career anybody is in. 
So that's why we appreciate people like you coming on and talking about, you know, your journey and your pivots, because that's just as important as somebody, like you said, my parents are the same way, have had the same career for 30 plus years, same industry, same company and everything. So if you, if you grow up seeing that you don't have this exposure, so that's why, that's why we started all of this. Yeah, I think it certainly can be hard when you're not provided uh, that information, you know, basically as a a young adult at 18 to kind of figure out what you do want to do with your life at that age. So you graduated with your engineering degree and then what happens next? Along that path, I had the opportunity to intern a couple different places. Um, And one of those is the place that I was hired on full time in a consulting engineering role. And in that role, I had a couple of interesting experiences. So I graduated in December of 2009, which is at the height of the economic crash. And I really didn't understand any of that. I I didn't understand the forces going on in the world. I I didn't understand how they were going to impact me. Um, I thankful enough to get a job. I I have really close friends that I studied with that it took them three years, even with the mechanical engineering degree, to be able to find a mechanical engineering job after graduation. And they graduated at the same time as me. So I was really fortunate to get this role. And I get in this role and it's a downturn. And I was assigned in an oil and gas division that did consulting for refineries and industrial plants. And um, so oil and gas was down. So I was assigned to some uh, manufacturing plant. And I thought this was really cool. I got to go on my first work trips, right? Like I'm traveling for work and it was awesome. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm this career woman, right? And then I get sent to um, a Southern state and I am in this non-climate controlled manufacturing plant and they had us helping them with some testing. And I had to work the overnight shift in like a hundred plus degrees in this factory with really hot machinery. And my one job for the entire eight or 10 hour shift was to pull something off of the line every two minutes and label it. And I thought, I just spent five years in engineering school and I am here staring at this really hot manufacturing line and pulling things off every two minutes. Like this is not what I signed up for. It was really cool at first to see how everything was made, but then that like aspect of what we were hired to do um, was not my favorite moment in engineering. It was really frustrating for me as a new hire. I think now looking back, I understand that we were in a downturn and our company was taking on roles just to get our foot in the door with certain clients. And and like, I can appreciate that now looking back, but in the moment I was like, why, why am I in the middle of Tennessee, in the middle of nowhere at midnight, pulling things off of this manufacturing line. (laughs) Like, this is not uh, what I thought engineering was. Uh, Again, going back to the exposure (laughs) of like, engineering can be many things. This was not one of those things I had imagined. So after that, I I had some discussions with management and said like, I'm really not enjoying these projects. They're really stressful and um, not enjoyable and um, not what I really wanted to do. So I got moved on to the oil and gas projects and I did equipment engineering in that role for quite a while. But in that role, I didn't really get to do the design, um, which is what you go to school for is working on the design. And I was in charge of purchasing the engineered equipment and making sure that the equipment fit the design, but I wasn't doing the actual design. And uh, I got really good at contracts in that role. I really understood the life cycle of equipment. And again, it just felt very not what I thought I was signing up for. In that role, I 
it seemed very uh, administrative. I didn't feel like I was using engineering at all. I was just checking the boxes, making sure the equipment was matching the standards and I, having to meet schedules and checking all that, but there wasn't really much engineering in it. There was another downturn in oil and gas and uh, projects were light and I got the opportunity to move into a supplier quality role where you know the engineers buy the equipment and then somebody has to make sure that the equipment is meeting all of the standards. So I moved into the supplier quality role where I would actually go out and do the inspections for the engineers. And it was really enlightening for me to be able to see how these things were made and to see the manufacturing process. So I really enjoyed that role. What I didn't enjoy about that role is there was a lot of travel. So for two years, I would have to travel about 50 to 75% of the time with like 24 hours notice. So I really didn't have a life. <laughs> it was great for that young um, part of my life, but I grew very tired after a while. You know, it, it just wasn't sustainable long-term, had a little bit of burnout. And so I requested to move in into more of an engineering engineering role where I was moved into a group where the mechanical engineers did everything. They did the design, they did the purchasing, they did all the contract management and it was awesome. But when I got there, it was unfortunate because they had gotten this new big project and uh, they needed some new processes and standards and uh, they didn't have a ton of experience with the procurement for a project like this where I did. And so they were like, hey, you're good at procurement. How about you do this on that project? So um, I, you know, I moved to a group to do more design work and I unfortunately didn't get that opportunity based on the projects that they had available and the roles that they needed me. And over some time, it really started weighing on me that I didn't have the same design experience as my peers. And despite my management really needing me to fulfill the role that I was, it felt like I was being held back for not um, having the same design experience as everybody else, but I wasn't necessarily, I felt like I wasn't given the same opportunities. I felt behind everybody else and kind of realized at some point I was looking at the different roles in the group and the people that I admired in those roles, whether it be a department manager or a project manager or a technical path. And I looked at, at what these people were doing every day and I was like, I don't, I don't see myself wanting to do any of those. Like, why am I working so hard to become something I don't want to do? So it was this moment of clarity where I was like, I can't see myself pursuing these paths in this group. And then I realized because of that, I really didn't have any goals. And that was abnormal for me. I'm a goal setter. I'm a, a high achiever and, and want to, to be my best everywhere that I um, am participating. And, and so I just was like, this isn't me. This isn't fitting. And so from there, I kind of decided to start exploring other options. I didn't know what those options were when I started exploring, but I started looking around. How far were you into your career at that point? How, how many years out of college was this kind of pivotal moment of, I'm looking around, I don't want to do any of these jobs? Yeah, so I would say that was probably year seven is when it really hit me. I think I knew pretty early on and, you know, probably year two, I knew, I knew that none of these paths 
really, I feel like I, I didn't fit the roles that were there, but I kept trudging on like I do, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> well, it goes back to what you're saying about, you know, your your parents, you set out to or major in engineering, you, you did that and kind of yeah. stick into that path. So, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. So I, I, uh, continued on and I, I had some really amazing managers who were very patient with me and, you know, that's ha- kind of how I ended up in the supplier quality role. And I was like, I don't know, like if this is going to work. And they're like, well, how about you try this? You know? So like I had, um, and then, you know, even moving into the design role, I thought I would like the design side. I thought I would enjoy that. And then I learned I didn't. <laughs> so it was like every little step of the way, I learned a little bit more about what I didn't like in order to better define what I might like more. And, and I think that's, that's equally as important. Yeah, absolutely. Careers and in college, I find it to be different, of course, from when our parents went. You know, like you said, both of my parents, um, I'm the first generation to graduate college from my immediate family. So my parents didn't go, but we tend to view careers as super linear and no room for turning back. You know, if you go in, then you're stuck. And I think that's a very odd approach to something that you do. I like to connect to sports. If I was straight up bad at basketball, which heads up, I was, I wasn't going to try out for varsity. I was going to switch sports. You know what I mean? And we don't view our careers like that for some reason. We just keep thinking, like you said, I'll trudge on, I'll do better. This is on me. And in reality, a lot of what you said where you were picking up on what you don't like. But for me personally, what I started doing, even at jobs that I liked, I would always keep a log of, I did this task this way and I liked it. Or I had to do this today and here was the outcome and here's why I didn't like it. So if I'm looking for internal promotions or to pivot my career, I can always go back and revisit those notes for myself like in the moment that they're happening and reflect on that. And that just provides you know a little bit more insight on myself that a lot of people I don't think do, like I said, because we view it as so linear. So besides just keeping like a mental note, was there anything else that you were doing to keep track of kind of your feelings and thoughts? I know you said you eventually ended up with a career coach. So how did you end up meeting up with her? Like, What was the straw that broke the camel's back on that one? Yeah. So the career coach actually came after my shift or my, to my new role. And that's actually offered to me through my grad school program. So I'm, I'm really appreciative of my Rockhurst grad school program for that. And for identification, as soon as I realized that the group that I was in wasn't offering, wasn't going to offer me what I would want to do long-term and like I couldn't see myself long-term, I really started just taking an inventory of the things that I did like and the things that I didn't like. So I had the very fortunate experience of working for one of our clients as, you know, I was contracted to them to like work in their office as one of their own team members. And these were some of my favorite clients I ever got to work with. And Jonathan and Melissa, I'm going to do a shout out there. If you guys are listening, um, you guys really helped me pivot. In that role, I was helping with front-end design, which is a lot of engineering speak for very early on project work. And I was helping estimate projects that they were dreaming up. And then they would look at the estimation of how much it would cost and determine whether or not it was going to be worth the investment. And having that level of impact of making sure I was estimating correctly and considering all of the possible options that could be considered on a project um, and all of the different ways to execute the project that might play into the cost and then seeing 
how that played out in their business plans is really what sparked the interest for me and in knowing that I like the big picture things more than I like the itty bitty detailed things. That was when I first realized I like the high impact big picture stuff and not the daily nitty gritty stuff. And so that was a really big turning point as far as identifying the type of role I would want and, and leading me into the role I'm in now. So let's chat a little bit about this new role. How did you decide to switch entirely into a new career path and and how did that role come about? Yeah, that's a great question. (laughs) So um, it was really scary to think about leaving my career path. Um, I have a lot of friends that have moved on from our, our firm and moved into new career paths. And we talk about this a lot. Some of them moved very early on, like five or six of their careers and some moved year eight, like I did. And I think that it was scary because I really grew up at that company. You know, I lived through my twenties in that company and learned how to be a professional and tuned these skills that I have at that firm. So it was really scary to think about leaving what's known for the unknown, especially a whole new career. I started looking external to see what might pique my interest, just reading different job descriptions. I picked out companies in my area that I thought were reputable firms or reputable corporations that I think would be fun to work for. And I looked at what was available just to see what was out there. And, um, you know, unfortunately, it's hard to switch because people want five years of experience or an MBA, uh, which I had neither in those fields. And so, you know, I was getting discouraged. I had been putting my resume out there and not getting hits back and really was just kind of trying to figure it out. And at this time I was getting, uh, I was engaged, getting ready to be married the next year. And um, like most women, when they're engaged, I was like all about working out and getting fit for my wedding. And I was going to the YMCA near my house where I met my friend, Nikki, and she was seeking a new role and she wanted to come work at our firm. And she said, hey, there's this HR role. Like, could you take a look at it and maybe let me know like what you think of it? And do you know the people that work in that group? And I said, sure, let me go look it up. I'm looking for this role for her. And when I came across the role that I'm in now, um, this open rec for this role that I had never heard of at our firm. Uh, I didn't know that it existed and I didn't know we had people that did that. And I had been at our firm for at this point, almost 10 years. Um, and I was like, I had no idea, you know, and I'm, I'm reading this description for a market research analyst. And I messaged the HR rep and I said, I honestly have no idea how to do any of these things. I have no experience, but I know my strengths and this sounds really interesting. And I think I would be really good at it. And he said, okay, let me reach out to the hiring manager and see what we can do. And it just kind of went from there. You know, I, I really had no experience in this realm. Um, but the experience I was able to bring was the company experience and, and the experience of being in our business lines that they weren't able to find from somebody external. So it really worked out in my favor in that way. So for those of us who don't know what a market research analyst is, how would you describe this to someone you run into on an elevator? I should say this is a funny topic of discussion that the term analyst is, uh, it means different things to different companies, to different people. I'm an analyst. You are an analyst. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
So I'm sure our uh, definitions are going to be greatly different. Uh, yeah, I was, I was actually discussing this with a, a Garmin analyst recently of how nobody really knows how to describe what we do. So with that being said, as a market research analyst, uh, I work within our marketing department and at our firm, our marketing department works as an in-house agency that does everything, everything in the pipeline. And so as market research analyst, I am assisting our business development teams with any ad hoc research that they might need, whether it be research about a client or research about a competitor or research about an industry or a region. I am basically augmenting their teams and um, working as an extension of their teams to help them. I was a marketing research analyst in college then with all my ex-boyfriends. Yeah, I think I've, I might do that as well with anybody I creep on on Facebook. Is Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of internet creeping for sure. <laughs> okay, this might be a new job for me to to look into. Then I <laughs> love to do a little Google searching and see what I can come up with. <laughs> so, kind of take us through what a typical day for you might look like, um, or like a typical project that you might work on. We are getting requests in. I, I sit on a team of five and everybody on the team does something a little bit different. So my arm is the research arm and um, we're getting questions from the pursuits teams and we're getting questions from business development managers and we're getting questions even from executives or um, at our firm, Every everybody that works there is capable of selling work. Um, so I might get a question from another engineer who may even be an intern who's just trying to help out um, and wanting to learn learn more. And so um, I have a stack of these requests and I am trying to meet their deadlines. Um, so whatever that might look like, we use some subscription resources and we use some publicly available resources, which are my most favorite to look at um, to see what information is out there searching. Uh, there are so many databases and just information galore out there to find things out about what's happening. I, I am reading the news and trade articles and, and tracking trends and then I think my where my strengths really lie are in the communication part. So I'm building reports and I'm finding a way to communicate what I've found back to my internal clients. And all of my clients are internal. I don't have external clients anymore like I did on the engineering side, but it's fun. I get to see what each business line is, is working on and doing. How have you seen a shift between going from working with external clients to being internal client facing? For me, the shift hasn't been too different. I think client service, once you learn it, it's something um, ingrained in you and you can really apply it anyway. So I really treat my internal clients just as I would my external clients. And in that, no matter the request, you know, small or large or from whatever level in the organization, they're needing that for some reason to help them. And that's what we are there to do and what I am trying to help them accomplish. Okay, so as you're transitioning into your new role, you're also going to get your MBA, or you were at the time while you were transitioning. How do you think your MBA played into that hand of the transitioning, and what's the best advice or best thing you learned from your MBA that helped you transition into your new role? 
transitioning was really scary because I was leaving this thing I had known for almost nine years for something completely different. A whole new working group, a whole new division I had never worked with before. I went from basically an all-male co-worker staff to an all-female co-worker staff. And the one thing that made my transition amazing was my manager. She was hands down the best. She understood that um, while I didn't have the skill sets at the time she hired me, they were learnable. And she saw in me something that I hadn't necessarily seen in myself at the time of like, I was capable of doing that. I think um, being in the role I was in before kind of beat me down a little bit and in my self-confidence. And she really helped bring that back for me. And one of those things that she did was support me and her manager as well. They both supported me in my pursuit for an MBA. So I actually started that after my uh, role. And I had always considered getting an MBA, but I didn't, I didn't realize it at the time that I just, I didn't have the the bandwidth for it in my old role. I was so worn out and so worn down and um, just so tired every day from being in a role that didn't fit me that I just didn't have the space for it in my life. And moving into my new role, they were supportive of me wanting to pursue that and it's really energized me and, and helped me gain the confidence and skills I needed in my new role as well, learning about the business side and the marketing side, the thing, the skills that I didn't have coming in. So uh, I would say my MBA has directly impacted me. There hasn't been a single class that I haven't been able to take something from and apply it to my new role, which was exactly what I wanted out of an MBA program. Oh my gosh. Say it louder for the people in the back. Skills are transferable. Jobs that don't fit your needs will definitely wear you down. Transitions are available everywhere. You just have to look for them. I cannot preach that enough. So I really appreciate you bringing that to the forefront of this conversation. Julie and I are both married slash engaged to engineers. Obviously, uh, you come from both worlds now, engineering and marketing, and I work in marketing. So I want to know what's something that you wish engineers could learn from marketers and then something that marketers could learn from engineers. So that's a really great question, Annika. Something that the marketers can learn from the engineers is processes. I find sometimes marketing can be chaotic um, and crazy uh, and uh, not always timely. It can be very rushed. So I think some, some processes in there can be learned. And the thing that I think engineers can realize about marketing is that it's really actually scientific. There's a lot of science in marketing. um, And I think that's something I had to learn too. Um, that has really surprised me about marketing, but it really is. There's a lot of science within marketing. I love that answer. I completely agree. Um, I know like the department I work in, the marketing team I work on, we're very chaotic, like very fly by the seat of your pants. At least that's what it feels like a lot of days. And especially right now with COVID, it's just like we're constantly pivoting. We start down one path and and then it's a very sharp U-turn down another path. Just like, well, I guess all that work we just did, we're just going to put that to the side. We may never use that again. Whereas like an engineer, I feel like that would never happen. (laughs) There would be some very upset people. Yes, I will say it it probably happens more than you think. But yes, we we definitely don't want the perception that it happens. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) And then that's really interesting about 
bringing up science because I don't think that I've ever thought of it in that way, but very true that there's a lot of just science. And as we discussed with one of our other guests, a lot of psychology behind marketing. You know, yeah. We're not just making decisions based off of like, we like the color of something. There's a reason behind a lot of the choices we yeah, make. Yeah, I think, you know, there's the psychology aspect and now um, in, in moving forward, there's a lot of the data, the data science behind everything that you're building campaigns on. And you are trying to get more engagement with your items that that's all way more scientific than I ever realized. Without, you know, getting into specific details, can you give us kind of an overview and example of the type of science you use to make decisions? Yeah, so I think, and in, in Annika, I, I, I think you'll echo this knowing your role. I think surprisingly, social media and PR are some of the more scientific avenues within marketing. I think um, time of engagement and length of engagement, and it's crazy to see the different programs out there where um, a company, if you get a company email, and this could be from, let's say, a, a jewelry company, like, and you get an email, they can see how long you have that email open. They can see where you scrolled to in that email, how long your mouse hovered over something. If you go to a website and you click on a link, they can see what links you might have clicked on before you went you know what led you to their website and and you can gather all of that information and then determine your plan of action based on that information so you know if you notice that like all of your emails are not nobody's scrolling down then you're not going to put the important links at the bottom you're going to put them at the top and you notice that more people are opening your emails at 10 a.m versus 10 p.m then you're going to want to send them at 10 a.m it's, it's really uh, crazy how insightful that stuff is <laughs> and like also creepy. That's <laughs> probably why all of my emails just start off with like pictures of mac and cheese. <laughs> probably. Okay, I'll scroll all the way down. Yeah. I just want to point out that Julie's face as Melanie is describing all of the creepy things that marketers know about consumers is she's like horrified. She's like, I'm never getting on the internet or opening anything related to marketing ever again. But it is really fascinating. I know like for, for us, we have so much information about people's spending habits. Like it's just crazy the amount of information that marketers have and at their fingertips to be able to like basically coerce you into buying things. I mean, that's the point of marketing. But I always like to describe social media marketing as creating a dating profile. So when you go to create a Facebook ad or an Instagram ad or something, it's like creating a, a dating profile for your whatever you're selling. I'm interested in females ages 20 to 25 who are recently engaged or have friends that are recently engaged. And then it's like you just start getting served all sorts of crazy ads. I mean, it's wild. Actually, one of my recent courses at Rockhurst, we kind of dove into survey analytics too. So, you know, one way that marketers are learning about their consumers or clients is through surveys. And that's all statistics. And to see the insights you can pull from that based on how the questions are framed and, and how people are answering are, are equally as insightful. So you've had a number of different positions and obviously have made a big career pivot. So through all of that, can you tell us what the worst piece of advice you've ever gotten was? 
That's a hard one. Because there's too many or you haven't gotten any. <laughs> I think I am, you know, stubborn by nature, given that I trudged through an undergrad degree and then seven or eight years of a career that I wasn't loving. And so any bad advice, I think I pushed out of my memory. <laughs> so it's like really hard for me to think. Only the Good advice really comes to mind. I think the just stick it out or the it'll get better or the the advice of, well, just it's a job and nobody's supposed to like a job. That that type of like mentality I now know is untrue. Um, I think it took me a long time to realize that nobody was going to set my career path for me, that I had to take that into my own reins and and control that. And and once I did that, all these great things came from it. So, you know, my encouragement is to take the reins and really do the due diligence of making an inventory of what you like and don't like and finding exposure to new things to see, whether that be going to a networking event and talking to people who might have roles that you enjoy, or whether that be looking at different job recs out there to see if they describe something you would like. I think those are all great paths to start down in, in deciding what you might want to do. And then also like remembering that to be open to new things, this position that I'm in now wasn't even a thing six years ago, wasn't a thing three years ago. So I didn't even know that I thought I would be in this role. So like being open to new things as well is, is a piece of advice. I would give. Just looking down the path five years from now, maybe even sooner than that, where do you see this role transitioning for you? What what do you see as like your new kind of career path? Actually, that's been something I've been struggling with because this role is so new. And I think what I've really tried to do is set some some goals of short-term goals of things I'd like to learn more about and to broaden my knowledge to help in my current role. So for example, I want to learn more about the social media uh, marketing side and the data side of our systems to understand how some of our internal data might inform what I'm finding externally from these publicly available sources, deliver better products to my clients and building on that. Also, our group is really small. So I think there's opportunity for to grow and I hope that I'm a part of that process. So you mentioned at the beginning your job kind of weighing on you and being tired and kind of beaten down by it. Now that you've transitioned and you're a few years into the role, how have you seen a shift in your morning routine or post-work routine? Do you feel like this weight has been lifted off you or what kind of side effects have come from pivoting to a job that meets your skill set better? Hindsight is always twenty twenty. I think looking back, it's pretty obvious now to me and my husband that I had been going through a depression. And, and when you're in the middle of a depression, you can't always see that you're in a depression. For me, it was really gradual. And it wasn't like I woke up one day and was that way. It was gradual. So it seemed like my natural state at the time. And then moving into a role with such a supportive manager and a role that is really playing to my strengths and the things that I'm good at and feeling good about my work product and feeling good about what I'm bringing to the table and the impacts that I'm having have it's just been a complete 180. There were days I was like crying in my car before walking into the office. And there were days where I was crying in the car on the way home, you know, from work because I was thinking about 
how terrible the next day was going to be. And there were days when I was crying in the car at lunch. And it, it also weighed on our relationship. I think, you know, I wasn't the most pleasant person to be around going through that either. And now I haven't had a single day where I've cried at work and I don't know how long, definitely not in this role. I, which shouldn't, shouldn't be the only measure, but it's a, it's a memorable measure. I can generally say I feel happy and I can feel a change in myself in that like I am setting goals and I see a future where before I couldn't see that future. I couldn't see what I was going to do next. And now I'm able to look ahead at the same company. I'm able to see myself staying here. I'm able to think of, you know, new future things for the firm and innovate within my group. Listeners, as you know, we are not all work and no play here. So we do have a couple of personal questions just so everyone gets to know you a little bit better than you intended. I want to know what was in your high school locker? I think high school was traumatic and I think I blocked it all out. I have no idea, (laughs) right? Like I did not enjoy high school. So thinking about that, I don't know. I was a nerd, so I probably had a lot of books in there. My best friend and I, we would decorate with pictures from the summer. I played some sports, so I probably had some, I had like a tennis racket in there. I also did gymnastics, so I had a gym bag in there. Pretty small lockers too, so not very much. Julie, did you have a locker in high school? Absolutely. And I very distinctly remember like there were these very cheap collapsible shelves that you could put in there and they would without a doubt fail within the first week. So all the books that I would stack on top would just be like, <laughs> like lopsided in my locker and open it up. It'd be like an avalanche. Did you not have a locker, Annika? What does Texas do down there? You just throw them in your truck or? <laughs> in our truck. Actually on our horses that we rode to school every day, you know, we just hitched our backpacks to the hitching post. No, mm-hmm. um, no, we didn't have lockers in high school. I had one in middle school, but I would, could never remember the combinations. So I like never used it. But in high school, I don't know why we didn't have lockers. We just had to carry around backpacks all day. So um, that's probably why I need to go to the chiropractor now. That's a recipe for me not bringing any of my materials to class. Being the girl who always asked for a pencil, I can tell you having a locker, I guess, really didn't help either, but not having a locker would assure that I would never be prepared. So I don't envy you. And Melanie, I do echo, I too hated high school. I wanted to get as far away from my high school as possible when I went to college. Um, So that's how I ended up in Missouri from Texas. (laughs) But yeah, high school is not a fun time for me. Meanwhile, I called my friend over quarantine and asked her to do our high school dance routine. Yeah, same, hated high school, like whatever. Okay, that's a lie because I know for a fact that you have several friends from high school still. They attended your bachelorette party and they're a ton of fun. People I, I knew in high school were not that fun. They were just mean. So much. <laughs> Keeping on the trend of your youth, what is a crazy story from your childhood? This is a, um, it's not, I, I won't say it's a full story from childhood. It's definitely a memory 
And so I mentioned before that my dad and I would hang out all the time. Um, I'd get done with school and then he'd come pick me up and then we would spend the evenings together. And so he was great in that he took me to do like all the things, whether it be working on a car or riding on his motorcycle or, you know, what whatever it was, he took me along and he would take me bowling and he would take me um, to the movies and it was really popular and my hometown was going to the skating rink. So the roller skating rink. So my dad would take me to the roller skating rink. The different schools would have like a night. So it'd be like our elementary school's night at the skating rink and everybody would go. And so my dad would take me and he was, I have this memory of him being the best roller skater. Like I remember being so impressed he could roller skate backwards without looking and like he could do like crisscross legs and you know all these crazy things and what's funny about this memory now is because my dad was a biker guy with really long hair and a really long biker beard and thinking back to what it must have looked like to see this biker dude roller skating around the roller rink with a bunch of second graders just really cracks me up and um, it's just a really fond memory I have of my dad. I'm trying to think of what the most popular song would have been when you were in second grade and then imagining your dad roller skating to like, I don't know what was popular in se- when you were in second grade. The Macarena, maybe? I have Probably, no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Tell you as a former roller skate rink DJ, the most popular song to play in early 2010 was Friday. Um, you were a roller skate rink DJ, Julie? Yeah, DJ Freeze. Okay. Um, as like a job in high school? Absolutely. How did I not know this about you? This is important information. It shaped my entire life. I want to know what your career coach says about those skills translating to your career now. So, I okay, maybe I haven't told her, but I will say I even though it's years removed from my job experience, I put it under every, on every resume and I swear that's why I get calls back cuz it's the first question they ask when I get interviewed. So I don't know, if you're trying to change careers, maybe be a roller ring DJ for a summer. I could probably hook you up with a sweet internship. Maybe get your dad out there, Melanie. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a pleasure having you on the show, Melanie. We appreciate you taking the time to explain yourself. For those listeners who may have a couple more questions, where can they get in touch with you? Thanks so much for having me today, guys. It's been a pleasure. And you can always find me on LinkedIn at Melanie Lettig. If you like our show, give us a five-star rating and a raving review. And make sure to tell all your friends so it's not just our moms listening. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. And to learn more about our guest and us, follow us on Instagram at Explain Yourself Podcast.